Welcome to another episode of the Persuasion Pitch Podcast. I'm your host, Jess, licensed esthetician, makeup artist, and anti-MLM advocate. They would rally support for uh, Rodan and Fields in terms of perhaps getting um, witnesses uh, that may be able to speak on behalf of the business plan or um, the practices that that Rodan Fields has used. I would assume in that case, it's somewhat of, of a special circumstance. So mm-hmm. perhaps the tools of the DSA wouldn't necessarily be needed. But say, for instance, uh, in 2011, when Joe Mariano first became the, the president of uh, the DSA, mm-hmm. um, there was a situation where um, the Affordable Care Act was just passed in, in the U.S. And as part of that package, um, there was a change to the tax rules, uh, the 1099 tax rule, where all uh, businesses, including um, MLM uh, distributors, they would need to submit a 1099 form for any business expense over $600. Right. So Joe Mariano um, rallied his troops, <laughs> the 16 million people that he kind of has at disposal that will sort of react to this type of thing. And, and uh, they had that change. So it wasn't going to be required. So it, the MLM company still need to submit a 1099 if someone makes over $600 mm-hmm. in an MLM company. But at that time, the law had changed slightly to make it so if a distributor needed to go to a hotel and spend over $600 that weekend to attend that conference, mm-hmm. they would have to submit a 1099 to the hotel. So oh. they wanted to sort of make sure that, that wasn't sort of an undue burden on their distributors. So he rallied against that. And something that we'll see very soon is um, the FTC is reviewing the business opportunity rule and the DSA will be highly <laughs> utilized in terms of getting the sales force um, together to submit letters that will try to oppose that idea that um, direct sellers should be should re- be required to submit some type of formal disclosure to anyone interested in joining the opportunity. So if you wanted yeah, to join Rodan and Fields, yeah. I, you, you would think that there should be some sort of standard, right? Right. The way that MLM right. companies currently operate in that space is they kind of set their own standards. And the DSA is somewhat controlling that. But I mean, with their declining membership, it's very hard to say that they're the organization that's going to be responsible for this. And I think it was at the time uh, Joe Mariano took charge of the DSA, there was about 250 member companies in it. So so quite large. Right now in, in 2021, there's 106. Really? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, so the, their, their membership has declined decline substantially and then that could be like there, there are outside factors like it could be the fact that there's there's so many collapsing mlms that that maybe there isn't as many in the space that could be of a size where the dsa would be useful to them but it i would guess that some of it has to do with the way that the dsa has managed um some of these crises they just haven't necessarily they haven't done anything that sort of represents them as as good business leaders Right. And I mean, I just don't see how they could because they are basically backing an unethical business model. So it's like, whatever, like, I would never believe that they are good people that protect um, reps. Of course, they're not going to protect the reps are getting screwed. 
by the company. So, I mean, they're there to protect the company. They don't give a shit about their reps, of course. Right. Hey, everyone. I am sitting here with Dave Vaughn, and he has been within the anti-MLM community for a long time. I see him everywhere, and I have for years. Um, So he is very familiar with the Direct Selling Association, and I've not touched on that yet. So I just wanted to get his perspective, his thoughts, his, you know, I wouldn't say opinions, but the facts about the DSA. And I was speaking to him beforehand, and we were talking about how people say they are proud to be members of the DSA, but it's something that's definitely, you know, you should not be proud of. Um, so can you just tell everyone in your words, like what the DSA is and what it does? Sure. Um, hi everyone. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with sort of where people probably first heard about the DSA. So, uh, in the dream podcast episode 11, so that was like the last episode of the, the main series season one, uh, Jane Marie kind of, <laughs> she was, uh, I, I would say in some ways assaulted <laughs> Um, by uh, a little man by the name of uh, Joe Mariano. And Joe Mariano is the president of the DSA, it's the Direct Selling Association. And they're a, a trade organization, or, or in other words, a lobby group that represents the, the main large uh, direct sellers, which right now, and it wasn't always the case, but right now are, are mostly represented by MLM companies. Um, so um, the current president of the DSA, which was just chosen in early July, I believe, was is USANA's uh, president. But before that, it was New Skin's president. In the past, Herbalife and Amway have held uh, main positions within the DSA in terms of chairs of the board. So um, yeah. this organization is led by some of the most notorious MLM companies uh, that people have problems with. Right. And so just because an MLM or yeah, just because there's an MLM company, that does not necessarily mean that they are members of the DSA. So not every MLM is going to be listed on like the DSA website, correct? That's right. So the DSA has a directory that you can access and then you can search through there and see what companies are there. Um, companies uh, that aren't on there. So for instance, Lula Rowe, um, when they went through their, their problems with uh, the Washington Attorney General, mm-hmm. the DSA was very quick to point out like, oh, see, this is not an organization that's part of the DSA. If it oh, was, it would probably have more ethics involved in it. But I mean, <laughs> the DSA didn't really have much to say when Advocare was deemed a, a pyramid scheme, which right. is and still was and still is a member and Herbalife when they went through their not, not a pyramid scheme. Um, findings of, by the FTC, like it, being a member of the FTC doesn't necessarily mean that it, it, it's a good business. All it means is that um, they've gone through a procedure, uh, a membership approval um, process, which takes about a year, according to the FTC, or sorry, the DSA. Uh, DSA yeah. um, it takes a year to go through that process. And it's sort of checking. I, it's more so about, um, I think it's, it's setting ethical standards around returns for for products, um, whether or not um, they have that kind of policy. There's a few other things within the DSA code of ethics, but it's questionable in terms of what it's actually looking for because a lot of these companies have the problems of there's no retail sales um, to true customers. It's all within in the companies themselves. The practices that they use in conferences and whatnot are are highly questionable. So. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't guarantee that a distributor is going to be safe if they join a DSA 
member right. company. So I, I certainly, <laughs> I would advise against that, even though, and it's not just in the US, right? You have DSAs in Canada, you have a DSA in the UK, um, which is run by Susanna Schofield. In uh, Canada, it's Peter Maddox. You have some in, in India, um, there's one in Taiwan. And these are all part of a larger organization that actually helps to set up and establish DSAs in new countries called the World Federation of Direct Selling Associations. And this organization is once again, led by a lot of the major CEOs and presidents of, of these MLM companies. And it's situated in the same office as the USDSA. So right in Washington, about four blocks away from the White House. Like, let's say that you're on the board, like, do they make, it's not volunteer work, right? Obviously. So they're yeah. making an income from that. So, so the presidents are not making an income, at least according to the tax records of the, the DSA. Okay. Um, Joe Mariano makes a decent living. He, I think in 2018, he was had a reported income of 690,000. So, I mean, wow. he's he's a lawyer by trade, so he's gonna make a decent living anyway, but, um, right. but he can practice law in the state of Maryland. So, mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, he's in a place where, where he, he's making a decent living by being able to be the face of these companies, especially from a legislative action point of view. So, yeah, he, 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 he does well. And there's a few other um, paid staff members within the DSA, but, but most of the representation by the companies themselves, my understanding is, is that they're not getting paid, but it, it's quite costly as, as a company to join the DSA. Like some, some members pay upwards, I think it's somewhat, it, it's several tens of thousands of dollars a year in order to maintain your membership, depending on the number and size of your organization, so. Okay, so it depends on the number and size of the organization. That, that, that's where Mariano gets his salary, right? So it's through the, the paid membership of those okay. MLM companies. All right. and, and they have an incentive to pay that because then they get the protection. And, and this sort of lobbying but, organization that, that makes the changes in, in Washington. And how much protection do they get? Because, for example, um, you know, I am like I, I am known to put out um, episodes and speak about Rodian and Fields because it's one of my most hated MLMs just because I'm a skincare professional. Um, right. So they just had another lawsuit and um, they're being in, their they're being sued by right. their insurance company. Does that yeah. would they protect them? or try to protect them in that? So the DSA, within the DSA, they've also set up a few other things. So it's not just the DSA itself in terms of, like they have a direct selling day that they run on Capitol Hill and there's a direct selling caucus, which works directly with the DSA on a lot of matters in terms of getting and gathering data on these direct selling companies, which are <laughs> wildly misleading because um, the DSA clearly has an agenda that they're trying to sort of put forward right. in terms of protecting the interests of these companies. Um, so Washington pretty much just gets only information from the DSA. The anti-MLM industry doesn't really have a consumer awareness institute like we once did under under John M. Taylor and, and uh, right. I mean, Robert Fitzpatrick, he does a lot of good work and mm -hmm. he tries to sort of put forward that information, but it, it's not really taken seriously. We rely on some academics like Bill Keep and Stacey Bosley to sort of put forward that mes message to lawmakers, but there's no coordinated action that we have that can really counter what the DSA offers. And we don't have access to that data either. They're, they're the ones that have the direct sellers that they can easily survey and the, the 
distributor force assumably is giving them information um, that is useful for that survey. And then they they release any of the information that looks shines brightly on on their their industry. So um, yeah. you only get that good stuff, and it, it's certainly it's certainly tailored in a way. Um, and they have made clear decisions. In 2014, they used to release retention numbers in terms of how many people left the business during that year. And they have selectively chosen not to disclose that anymore. So they're trying to hide information. And, and sadly, with government in the state that it's in, you don't have any people who really understand this industry or, or know the right questions to ask of these because they think that they're just regular businesses. It's also true in the finance sector where people are trading stocks and that they, they just don't really know how how these things are different than, than normal businesses. So the right questions aren't asked and, and you, you end up in the wrong conclusions and, and they can sustain themselves long enough because, I mean, they're expanding overseas and then that's the revenue source that they use and, and draw from. Right. Like there's no, there's no telling what really goes on. You know, there's like st like with the numbers and everything, like so much that we don't know about. Um, with the six hundred dollars, I was going to ask you, yeah. you know, like let's say that over uh, like this is kind of off topic from the DSA, but now that you mentioned the yeah. six hundred dollars, um, yeah. let's say that someone gets a gift, like I don't know, a handbag or you know all those love bombing gifts. So mm -hmm. the amount I heard that the amount of of their gifts quote gifts that's right. actually counted as an earning so let's say they if they even get six hundred dollars in gifts they would have to be 1099 right yeah no I, that's my understanding as well i mean okay. i'm no tax expert <laughs> right <laughs> I, I should make that clear so i hope no no distributors listening to this taking that advice but um yeah my my assumption would be that under under the rules um they would need to disclose that um in addition to the dsa sort of having that that legislative branch i i also wanted to bring up the fact that very recently they, they launched a direct selling journal which is supposed to be an academic news source for for the um channel they call it they, they don't call it a new industry and industry is usually a term used in economics to refer to a certain class of products that because mlms work across different services and industries in general. They use the term channel. Um, they had pushed back at, at one point against the term industry because they wanted to be high and mighty and, and, and not use words like that. Um, so they, they built this direct selling journal. Um, they launched it in January of this year and it's supposed to be sort of like a high class magazine that gives information about um, how these MLM companies are working, how there's a new, or I guess they, they coined it as a renewed focus on the customer. And this is rather laughable because the DSA themselves have sort of changed the definition of what a customer is. So at one point, or or I guess throughout, throughout history, they, they've kind of um, classified distributors as either a customer or a seller, depending on when it was to their advantage. Right. So when they're lobbying Congress, they want to make sure that it sounds like the direct selling industry is rather large. So they'll use a figure like 19.5 million to say that that's how many people are working in the sector. But when they are presenting income statistics, they try to reduce that number a lot. So now they say there's only about 6.4 million um, distributors uh, that are that are working, and only about 
I think 12% of them are working full-time. So that they really try to sort of <laughs> cushion the fact that people aren't really making any money by sort of creating these I, only verifiable facts with their information, but they don't release that information. You just have to go by their word and their word has been proven to yeah, be Yeah, like you cannot unreliable. even go by so the word of the DSA. Bill Keep has constantly been watching over this industry far longer than, than many people. Mm -hmm. um, he's an academic at the College of New Jersey. He's the one who actually organized the MLM conference. Conference, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so, amazing. So he's published a lot of uh, his findings on Seeking Alpha, and he routinely has to rely on the DSA data, but anytime he's using it, he's like, I can't trust any of these numbers, but they're the best I can go on. So based on, on this information that I have, it's still not looking good for the industry. You have to do some data work because it's not presented in a way for you to reach those conclusions but right. when you actually combine the information and draw conclusions from that you realize that things are not looking good for the industry right and i mean these those you know like bill keep and um robert fitzpatrick stephen hassan and john taylor rest in peace these are people who are just and many others staples within the anti-inmelon community that have been working for years trying to raise awareness um as far as the federal trade commission and the dsa um yeah. i think it's you know if anyone has read pontinomics or if they've been an anti-MLM advocate or just looked into the movement for any mm -hmm. amount of time, you will see that um, companies like, for example, Herbalife, you know, they will pay off politicians um, all the way around. That yeah. is why people are like, well, if, you know, it's a pyramid scheme, it would be illegal. I hate when they say that um, because, you know, companies have been deemed to be illegal pyramid schemes. So yeah. there's that. But... Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they, it's corrupt, you know, and they pay people off. How closely does the FTC work with the DSA? Mm -hmm. And do you think that they are, I don't know, do you think they just work together to, I mean, is there cover-ups within all of it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm asking, or, I mean, have people like paid off within you know what i'm saying how yeah, how shady I, is it all how shady is it all? i i think from that perspective and and this will be my opinion because i, I think people will reach different conclusions on the spaces because the information isn't well known uh -huh. my sense would be that because the fdc sort of operates on a uh commissioner system that is constantly changing it's very it, as much as it seems like there's a pay to play mechanism going on where, where people are paying these people to get involved. I think it's sort of on a one time basis. Like it doesn't, the organization itself doesn't remain corrupt mm -hmm. um, over time, right? It, it doesn't extend across time, but there are periods in which the um, FTC can be corrupted um, right. because organizations are able to buy off. So I think in the case of the Herbalife case, there is definitely some backroom dealing going on there that made the FTC reach the conclusion that it did. And when Edith Ramirez was presenting her verbal remarks on the decision, claiming that it, Herbalife was not, not a pyramid scheme and the word pyramid scheme didn't appear anywhere in the written report, but when asked and pressed by a journalist, she had to make that comment. So when you're saying something is not, not a pyramid scheme, you're saying that we are not comfortable saying anything about it being a pyramid scheme because we have reached a, <laughs> a decision with the company to not make that 
conclusion, right? So that you you know that there's something else going on. This is something interesting about Edith Ramirez. I, I do respect her as a person, but the DSA has a legal counsel that sits on the board. And that legal counsel um, works with Hogan Lavelle's, which is actually the law firm that Edith Ramirez went and worked for after her term at the FTC. So I don't know if there's any sort of association there, but she certainly has a colleague um, that works very closely with uh, the, the uh, DSA. Um, and she sits on the board of the DSA. So take that what you will. Um, it, it raises questions, especially mm -hmm. after talking with Robert and reading Ponzi-nomics. Right. I, I, I know there's a lot of respect for Edith Ramirez because she did do quite a lot in terms of helping um, bring Vima and Herbalife and others to, to sort of bear for, for their actions. But yeah, it is concerning. The DSA itself, in terms of its association with the FTC, there, there's an organization the DSA recently started. Um, and this was after, there's another organization called uh, Truth in Advertising. It's run by Bonnie. Yes, Patton. yes. Mm -hmm. um, she's done an incredible amount of work with her staff. Um, Laura Smith, I believe, is the legal counsel that they have in their office, and she's written numerous letters to MLM companies being like, hey, we see you doing all this crap, you need to cut it out. Um, yeah. We're getting tired yeah. of going through thousands of posts where you are constantly misleading about the income opportunity and making false health claims. Yeah. Um, I report to them all of the so, time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, they, it feels like they take... Um, quicker action than the FTC, even right. though they're certainly understaffed as a nonprofit organization, but they do do great work. Um, but they, where was I going with this? The DSA has established a direct selling, um, DSSRC, Direct Selling Self-Regulatory Council. And this was established because Tina kept reporting all of these problems and the DSA realized, well, we need to do something about so they partnered with the National Program of the Better Business Bureau, which, interestingly enough, had divorced itself from the nonprofit organization, the Better Business Bureau, which is confusing itself on its own. Why does it keep the name? Why is it all sort of <laughs> not, not just straightforward? It, it's anyone's guess. But um, this Direct Selling Self-Regulatory Council is supposed to be uh, in charge of policing the industry for these false claims and whatnot. Are they doing a good job? I would say no. Right. If you ask Tina, like during the conference, they were sort of applauding the DSSRC for doing their work. And I think that was mm -hmm. for a public statement. But very recently when they sent their letter to the FTC telling the FTC, hey, we really need to take action on these MLMs. It's becoming exhausting reporting right. all of these problems. We have people reporting to us all the time. Mm -hmm. um, we need to take more sort of offensive action against these these companies because they're constantly just they correct themselves and then they recommit the, the crimes or, or right. issues that we have um so they they did not really recognize the value of the dssrc they sort of said that it's not working um in this letter which i i appreciated because it was certainly not what they had said during the conference so there's at least recognition that it it's not really doing its job Right. Um, and I would say yeah, it hasn't been for since it was created, and that was back in 20, 2019. So it was only two years ago. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, fa it failed us all during the pandemic. Like it just did a terrible <laughs> job. We had, we had to yeah. step up and write 15 or so letters yeah. to these companies, which the DSRC should have been responsible for. And a number of those companies were direct selling companies within the DSA. Right. I mean, 
even even within that, like this year, the Better Business Bureau awarded, and they have independent branches across the U.S. So I think that they have a hundred. I think they actually have a hundred and six offices, which is interesting enough because that's a hundred and six MLM companies that oh, are part yeah. of the <laughs> range number to have in common. But these hundred and six branches, they sort of award their own torch awards for ethics and Plexus and Isagenics in Arizona under the Pacific Southwest branch of the Better Business Bureau, they were awarded a torch award last year, even though both of those organizations received FTC letters. They sure did. Yeah, because I remember when they came out, I was all over it. I'm like, oh, look at this, look at this. So I went through them. You know, they had the posts that were made in the letters, like the whole thing. Right. So yeah, and the, I was, they're I was both excited DSA to see organizations. them. They, they're both DSA organizations. They should have fallen under the self-regulation council in terms of something looking after them. When Isogenics first received warnings from Tina about this, Isogenics claimed in the letter, we have 20 people looking to pull sure this will never happen again. Can you hear me okay? I'm getting it. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, we'll make sure that this will never happen again. And we also have this sort of system for distributor self-reporting that immediately takes action on any post that's incorrect. So, I, I mean, they have, they might have these systems and supposedly they work, but the real problem is they aren't properly educated. The business plan itself rewards people for taking these actions without any real penalty for it. Right. There is, of course, the consequence of, of losing your distributorship, but I mean, ultimately, you're willing to sort of sacrifice that because the the chances of you getting caught in that action being taken are, are rather minimal. Like there, there's not really stories about that happening. There's maybe once one every once in a while to sort of set an example, but it's not happening across the industry. And it's usually not happening with top representatives, right? That are encouraging this behavior in for their downline because they know that it pays off and, and they know that they get rewarded from that behavior, even though their downline members most likely won't. And they can be cut loose by, by the company, even though that's being encouraged by by someone who who is above them. So it, it's exactly, just, <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and there's no yeah. follow up to that. You just sort of respond to the few posts that you do find and they get penalized, but it, it doesn't sort of look, there's no investigation to look at, okay, well, why, why was this person sort of presenting the opportunity this way? I mean, I, I went after Amway at the start of the pandemic because there were a couple of reps saying that their, um, their uh, air purifier was helping families Gosh. sort of free themselves of um, the COVID-19 um, virus, um, which is a terrible claim to make. And, and I agree. And Amway was very diligent in sending out emails to their representatives saying it can't be done. It's unverifiable. You can't make these claims. But at the same point, for years, these people have been told that this uh, air purifier was so reliable, it'll remove 99.9% .9 of, of viruses in the air. Your family can feel safe under these. So if you are constantly reinforcing this message, getting people to stand up on stage with lab coats, and they believe this message, and they're right. going to go around and tell people this. At the start of the pandemic, when you suddenly shift that tone, it is your responsibility to make sure that you explain properly to those people that everything you told them before wasn't necessarily true. Right. There was things wrong with that. Because if you don't do that, then you are are complicit in their commitment to share this information with people because they think that they're helping people. They, they think that they're going to be preventing this virus by helping to share this. And yes, they're gonna get some money, but sharing this air purifier with others will protect them because that's what they were told 
for months, years. Right. So why why would it suddenly change? And and I was trying to sort of make this call to there was a, a person in Canada. He he works for like consumer protection and awareness. He kind of he goes undercover. It's like 2020 or or, or 60 minutes in the U.S. Um, goes around and, and tries to um, present scams to consumers to make sure they don't get invested in them. And yeah, he he didn't really bite <laughs> on my push of like you can't let Amway off with this. Like they are as responsible as the person who is making those claims to you. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, that people, just shows that the air purifier was bullshit. So yeah, they, I I mean. I think a lot of the claims that they, they had made for decades, and you, you look at the, the brochures, like the printed material that they have on this are exactly what this man was, was sharing with others. He had just made the claim that like, this is, will protect you from COVID because everything that he had been told, the science that he had been shown on these air purifiers up until March of 2020 was that his family will be protected in a situation like this. Right. And, you know, it feels like with Amway, you know, it, it pisses me off so bad because I feel like, you know, if it wasn't for Amway, you know, MLMs would not be what they are today. I feel, I mean, the FTC had an opportunity to shut them down. Right. So like years ago, and it feels like even if you report Amway, like nothing's going to happen to Amway because it's Amway. It's and, and, I don't and the know. FTC bowed out in that case when they didn't need to. They could right. have appealed the decision. It wasn't even made by a, a proper judge. I know, and, and it makes me so mad. Like they, yeah, oh. yeah. I, I mean, that, that, it, it pays to know people, <laughs> and and the right. DeVos and Ben Andel um, pair. They certainly knew people in Washington, and uh, it's hard to deny that that wasn't the case. Right. So shady, you know, just like the FTC had a great opportunity to shut down Herbalife and nope, right. you know, right. here they are. I, th- that is a complicated case. I, I do see the argument that it might have seen problems with Herbalife, but giving a win to Ackman and giving him a huge windfall in, in money by playing the market the FTC would have had problems in that way as well, right? Like, like if Ackman had made billions off of that that trade because the FTC had, had brought the hammer down on Herbalife, then the FTC might have felt weaker in other cases as well. So right. I mean, even though even though it might have been true that Herbalife had done bad things, um, and and I mean, by my assessment as well, like there's certainly there's certainly a lot closer to being friends with the pyramid scheme than than many other companies that have been deemed pyramid schemes. Um, and they've done far more damage. But I, I think because of, of that um, concurrent situation, the FTC was very hesitant to take those moves. And I think I think a, a lot of industry players were sort of against that. Currently, the FTC is investigating a company called Neora. It was originally called Nerium. It is a skincare technology as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it has had a series of problems. Jeff Olson um, is the CEO. He originally swore himself off of MLM after several experiences. He actually was buddy buddy with Eric Worre for a very long time. Oh my um, gosh! During yeah. their prepaid legal days. And that kind of thing. <laughs> um, I, I think after 
Eric Worre was let go from prepaid legal firm for unfair practices. Uh, Jeff Olson also left at the time. And I think that kind of swore him off of MLM. But then he wrote his uh, leading edge book, which is supposed to be targeted at MLM distributors. Um, and then he sort of built this whole company off of a lot of um, university students. He went around and was um, marketing Success University as part of a publishing group through direct selling news. Like there's so much shady stuff that goes there on so much in these MLM stuff, companies yeah. that, that's far outside the companies themselves, but like all of these players that get involved in direct selling and then sort of build themselves up through the ranks and then find an opportunity to further exploit other people that are just trying to make this business work because they believe in the promise of it. It's just, it's horrible. And it is. you have yeah. to imagine, you have to imagine people like Joe Mariano, Jeff Olson, like they all see this, they have to. Like, mm -hmm. And there's probably some of them that really still believe that this is the sort of representation of the American dream. Like this is the only way that people can get what they want from it. But if you really sort of dig into the data, which I imagine they don't do every day, but they must have it thrown in their face every so often. Um, anyway, the, the, this company, Nior, is currently under investigation by the FTC, um, and they're a member of the DSA. So it, again, we, we go back to the first point where we started from, can you trust an organization that's part of the DSA to be a, a proper MLM company? And sadly, no. No, <laughs> like, no. I, no, hell no. I, I ask and I would challenge anyone and I know people do this and, and they get doubt or, or a few comments here and there from people like, oh, well, Sensi isn't really an MLM. It's doing a good job. Oh my um, gosh. Like, but it is an MLM. I, That's what they, I, I they're like, not, oh, it's I, not an MLM, but it is. And I hate when they do that. I have not found the golden goose. I, I've not found that one MLM company that I can say, okay, you know what? Like things are working okay here because ultimately the issue is not the products it's selling. It's not the CEO who's in charge of the company. It's not the um, leaders that they end up recruiting in its initial phase of the MLM company. It all has to do with the reward system that they use that ultimately produces the behaviors that we all have problems with, right? It creates this unethical system that everyone needs to work in order to, to get the money from, from an MLM company because you're not making it selling products, right? right. They're, they're priced out of market. You're, you're not gonna get into an MLM company and, and build a $100,000 business off of selling selling those products. Yeah, and like like the ones at the top, like I, I feel like they have to know what's going on. They have to know that they are making money off of people who are losing it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, yes, of course it's a cult and I'm not saying that in a yeah. joking way. You know, I've done an right. episode on it. Um, yeah. So I know that they do have so much brainwashing that goes on, but I just feel like the people who are making all of this money, like even up to seven figures, they have to know what they are doing. They just have to know, I feel, and I could be wrong. Yeah. There may be some that don't know, but in my opinion, I feel like they have to know. Yeah. I, I, I've looked at it for a, a long time and, and this brings me to the, the last sort of branch that I want to talk about the DSA. So the DSA has the direct selling journal it has the Direct Selling Association, which is sort of the main lobbying group, which has clear connections to the Direct Selling Caucus, which it feeds data for in terms of passing laws. Um, it also has the DSSRC, which is a self-regulatory council that it works with the national programs of the Better Business Bureau to 
supposedly police the industry. The final branch of that, that that really sort of burns me because I'm a teacher here in, in Taiwan is the Direct Selling Education Foundation, which is the branch that looks to pull a bunch of business leaders from faculties across the US. And now they're started to build these systems in places like India, where they're actually building college programs for people to go through to become direct sellers. Which oh my gosh. Oh um, no. But they are getting these business faculty members to present cases like about Avon or um, what's the other one? Mary Kay, I think is also one that they use. Oriflame, I believe is a case study that they've also developed for business classes to examine direct selling and sort of dispel some of the myths that are associated with direct selling and it being wow. a pyramid scheme. Um, so they sugarcoat a lot of the information that's presented in these things. They pay researchers um, to do um, yeah, investigations yeah. into these companies, but it's right. very questionable in terms of the intent. Like a, a lot of the questions that are being asked is like, does the marketing technique work? Do are, Is revenue being generated in these companies? It's like, yes, revenue is being generated. Like when you create a system that makes people believe that if they keep investing in the products that are supposedly going to give them riches, then they're going to keep buying the products, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's And especially when you build that culture around them where they, they feel like they're missing out if they're not buying the products and going to these um, seminars and, and conferences that tell them to further commit to the business and find other people to also buy the products that you claim are sellers, but are, are the only buyers of, of the products right. in the companies. So yeah, it, it, the Direct Selling Education Foundation is a, a thorn in my side. I've actually spoken with some of the fellows. Um, I, I've called them up when I was living in Iraq, even I, I was, I was calling some of these people and many of them have joined the DSEF, not sort of out of like a well-researched kind of decision, but they just knew someone named Vicki Crittenden, who is kind of the, the she's not the president because Joe Mariano oversees that role, but she kind of is the main operations person with the DSEF. And um, because they know her and she had a good reputation before doing all of this, um, they just willingly accept fellow position and when you see other people on this list of fellows then it's easier to recruit other faculty as well so they've, they've just a massive yeah. large list of, of faculty members across the u.s um, that look like they're in support of the direct selling um, industry but in reality when you talk to them they're just like i i don't really know much about it but i was happy to support my friend vicky you're right <laughs> are you kidding me mm, yeah, they're like so I, I don't I, I was talking to one and she's like i don't really see the big problem with it but yeah i can see it's kind of scammy like like those companies like amway they're the bad ones i'm like that's the main one that's that's oh leading gosh. all of this like everything that works within the dsa is basically based off of the amway model like right they they're the ones that innovate per se in in the mlm industry and then they replicate it across by like changing the definitions of what it means to be a customer and um, adjusting the compensation plan or returns policies in order to meet FTC uh, requirements, but still getting away with basically running a product-based pyramid scheme. Right. And that's just, it just boils down to educating, you know, our future. Like my 11 year old son, he hates MLMs and, mm -hmm. you know, he was even doing um, in his gifted class, you know, a project on how MLMs are harmful and unethical, which I'm so proud of that. So it's all about just like educating, you know, educating people. And I do want to say 
um, before I forget that um, you mentioned Bill Ackman. So for anyone listening, he is talking about, um, we actually could see everything that happened on betting on zero. It's not on Netflix Mm -hmm. anymore, but you can purchase it on YouTube for like two bucks. Right. And, and I keep in my description boxes of all of my show notes, I have a link where you can report to the FTC and to Tina, which is truth and advertising and they take screenshots. So Tina takes screenshots. And so it's easier to report to them. I feel. Right. And, and you can do that anywhere in the world. I I mean, it's going to help more so if you're in the US, but Mm -hmm. they will certainly take that information because ultimately a lot of these organizations, they they don't all start in the US, but a a large number of the biggest ones in the world are based in the US. So if there's information being uh, found in other countries, there is still some action. I've shared a link too, if you're not in the US, so. Yeah, that's good. No, that's great. Yeah, it ultimately comes down to us, right? You can't really rely on, on lawmakers to see this problem or, right. or to really sort of process it, right? There, there's so many other problems going on in the world. Exactly. MLM seems like a small one for them. Um, but I think it really requires a lot of, of activists like uh, yourself to sort of stand up and, and say, like, no more. This, we, we can't let this continue. I don't want my son having to grow up in a world where his high school classmates... 20% of them end up in these MLM companies losing money and, and sort of trying to pitch it to the other 80% that right. just refuse to join. Right. So, right. Well, um, I, I really do appreciate all of your work that you do and with educating yeah. people. Um, you're so knowledgeable on all of this and I knew that you would be the perfect person to talk to, especially about the DSA. So yeah. thank you so much I- for coming on. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll just wrap up by saying I, I've sent a few questions to Joe Mariano. I'm hoping that he'll get back to me. But it, okay. And if he does, I'll be sure to share those with you and, and everyone yes. else who, who might be interested. Yeah, I'm interested. <laughs> Great. All right. Thank you. No worries. All right. So I just want to add this to this episode. I came across a TikTok account and I have verified that it's true that Dr. Oz is listed as a keynote speaker at an event for the Direct Selling Association. It's actually a really hilarious TikTok and I'm going to also leave that down in the show notes below. And I also have some more words from Dave, who was a guest today. And if you guys would read that in the show notes. And speaking of TikToks, I have a TikTok account. Of course, my personal one, it's just MUA, but I also created one for this podcast, The Persuasion Pitch. So you guys go check that out too. As always, thanks so much for listening, and I hope everyone has a great rest of the week. 